Are you ready? This is Moffat on the Mic on the A1 Sports Network. Bow to the masters. Break it down! How you doing, everybody? And welcome to the Moffat on the Mic show, courtesy of the A1 Sports Radio Network. We are doing the show from on Zoom for uh, tonight's show. As always, you can follow the show on Instagram at Moffat on the Mic, Twitter at Moffat on the Mic, and my Facebook page as well. I am Craig Moffitt, and as I say time and time again, and now I'm starting to believe it with each passing day, <laughs> that this show is not possible without the production stylings. Well, first of all, it's possible because I have my Apple computer. <laughs> but it's, of course, not possible without the founder of the A1 Sports Radio Network, the showstopper, the head honcho, Chris Clip. What's up, Craig? Very excited again. Two days in a row. Two guests. I'm very excited for tonight's episode. So as you, so Clint is excited. I'm excited as tonight we're going to have uh, another good friend of the show in the past. He is uh, currently, he's hosting the Jake Asman show every Monday to Friday, 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. on SB Nation Radio. And he is also was a former alumni of the Sports on the Go One Network where Clem and I came from before it became Worldwide Sports Radio Network. And that is, of course, Mr. Jake Asman of the Jake Asman show. We're going to be getting into some Texans football. We're going to get into some Jets football. Jake's a big Jets guy. Some Yankee baseball. we got a lot to cover with Jake on the show. So he's going to be on with us in about 10 minutes or so. So we're looking forward to that one. And uh, we're not going to have a show tomorrow. But Thursday, tentatively, and I'm using tentatively because I'm not sure, we're going to have Tim Healy, uh, Mets beat writer for New York Newsday. He's going to come on the show and talk some Mets baseball with us. Uh, with, you know, a lot to go over, especially. Um, so we're hoping we can have him on. Uh, this is right now being recorded on Zoom, and then Clem's going to turn it into a podcast courtesy of Spotify. So be on the lookout for that probably sometime tomorrow morning. So, Clem, it's kind of funny because, you know, I was listening to the show we had with Isaac, and Isaac kicks ass like he always does, and it was a really good show last night. And I was listening to the part at the end when Isaac was asking me for advice on being a dad. Right. My wife had me sitting next to me while I was giving the advice. (laughs) And my wife looked at me and swear to God, she turned around and said, she's like, you know, she's like, that's really good advice. Now my wife and I don't agree on everything Mm -hmm. more times than, you know, more times than not, we don't. Right. So I literally got very close to, I wanted her to, I wanted to record this moment because it doesn't happen very often. And I need it in case, you know, we ever get into an argument and, you know, she says, oh, <laughs> and, and all that stuff. So it made me laugh. And when I thought about it a lot, I left out one little part to that. And I kind of told him, and, but I didn't say it the right way. And what I was saying was, when you do things, when you teach your kids stuff that you're into, mm-hmm. it makes the stuff they like that you don't more tolerable. Okay. That's what I meant to say. And I couldn't get the words out. That's why I was kind of babbling a little bit towards the end, but um, it makes those things tolerable. You put up with their crap a little bit more because, you know, yeah. you do. Yeah. But 
listening to that interview, we had a lot of fun. There was a lot of laughs on that, you know, playing it back last well, night. Well, I mean, we've, we've had some good guests in the past, you know, the Pisanos from What's Wrong With Wrestling, uh, Christine Wen, the porn star, uh, Daryl Slater. We've had all sorts of guests come on. But, you know, it's just something about with Isaac, you know, it's just like, it's like I was even telling my dad, I'm like, you know, every time we interview this guy, like I've never met this guy once in person, but like I feel like we, me and him, we go way back just from doing these interviews. Here's the crazy thing. When I worked with Isaac at CBS, mm-hmm. totally not like that. Really? And the thing was, I didn't know, I knew him well. Mm-hmm. See, when I worked at CBS Sports Radio, I enjoyed every minute of it. Don't get me wrong. It was a lot of fun being in the newsroom. It was a lot of fun seeing the personalities. You know, for the most part, the personalities were pretty cool. You know, I never really had any issues. I worked a lot of overnights. So there was kind of like very anything goes type of stuff, really. Right. Your prime, my primary job was to make sure that the anchors in the morning had enough audio to get through their updates. Because they use a lot of audio sometimes for their updates mm-hmm. and everything. So that was basically the hardest part of my job, especially because I used to work with Rich Ackerman and he was a bit of a tool. And he still is a tool. And... <laughs> He was like this guy that just, he always wanted this really random audio that was really tough to find, mm-hmm. you know, but he'd swear up and down it was out there, but it's like, you go to the school website, you go to the ESPN, which you're not really allowed to use, not really allowed to use ESPN because they're rivals, obviously, mm-hmm. it's two national networks, but you had people there that were very clicky. And they were kind of in their own little world together and they didn't like any outsiders and everything and, and all that stuff. And I think that's ultimately why I never made it there because I feel like people kind of, I don't want to say the word blackball. I think that's a bit extreme, but I definitely think it was favoritism towards like other people, you know, but then you had guys like Isaac who were super cool, super nice, always willing to help you out when you needed it. Yeah. And and it's kind of funny because I owe our relationship with Isaac to Jake. Mm-hmm. Because Jake, I, re- when I, I reached out to Jake to be on our show when we were on Worldwide. And then I asked him to put me in touch with Isaac. Because I told him, I was like, I used to work at, you know, and Jake will tell you that he saw my name on a list of people working at CBS Sports Radio. But that was an old list, obviously. And then he put me in touch with Isaac, and then Isaac's been on our show ever since. So I owe our relationship with Isaac and him being on our show to Jake. Because I don't, because I don't think if I ever got in touch with Jake, we would have never had Isaac on. Because I would have had no way of getting in touch with Isaac. Yeah, and like you know, where we've gone, you know, with this relationship with Isaac, it really has like gone to like where we're like we really are like friends, all three of us. Like he's literally like the third person of the show, and like I said. Like, we love having Jake on. We love having the Pisanos, Daryl Slater, a whole bunch, all these yeah, We got to get the Pisanos. We, we got to get the Pisanos on again. We got to get them back on. Yeah, I, gotta- I, I miss those guys. Those guys were hilarious. And I, and I replayed the video a lot of us when they came to the studio. They were outstanding. I loved was- every minute of hanging out with those guys. Yeah, and an- another surreal moment, too, because, like, my buddy turned me on to their podcast. And because my buddy's a big wrestling fan, so he was like, oh, you got to listen to these guys. They're awesome. And I was like, okay. And I listened. I fell in love with them. Like the minute I, I heard them and I listened to their podcast every week. And the fact that they were able to come into the studio and do a, a show with us was, was even better because it was like, wow. Like I listen to these guys every day and now I get to do a show with them. This is really cool. 
And the thing is, they came all the way from Brooklyn to come to our show. And yeah, that's, that's, that's a poor ride. Dude, that's a freaking trek. I mean, I don't know where they were staying. I'm assuming they were, you know, but either way, coming from Brooklyn all the way to Long Island, especially Eastern Long Island, it yeah. takes me 40 minutes to get out to that studio. I'm sure it took you kind of the same. Yeah, it took me like 40 minutes. I can only imagine what it took them. And I was like, and it's not like, you know, we were doing a day show. We were doing a, a, a midnight show. Yeah. And then they drove back too. Yeah, I was just, I, when they said that, when I told them where we were, I, I, was ready, I was ready for them to say, ah, yeah, we can't come out. Get the hell out of here. I, I, I was fully prepared for them to say, yeah, we can't do it. Like, <laughs> And the thing was, like, remember we were thinking about going to their show at the pub in Brooklyn? Yeah. Because they originally had it in the afternoon. I was like, yo, let's go pay. Let's go show them some love and everything like that. And then they moved it to like 11 o'clock at night. Because it was right after NXT TakeOver. Because they were going to TakeOver. And I just kind of was like, dude, I can't. There's like no way I'm going to schlep to Brooklyn at 11 o'clock at night. I love the Pisanos. And they've been really good to us and everything. And, you know, I don't know who does the tweets most of the time. But their Twitter, their Twitter account's pretty, pretty fun. good, yeah. You know? So... Um, I am going to try to work on getting Christine back on. Oh, that was great. I, I really want to try to get her back on. I, she was a lot of fun. She was definitely, and I like kind of having that women's perspective on sports on the show. I think that's a pretty important as well. So we're going to be doing a lot of cool things here. And, you know, Clem's definitely been working the phones and stuff. I mean, we just got to do what we keep doing. Just keep reaching out to, you know, reporters, wrestlers, you know, maybe we can even get in touch with the, the creative pro guys about coming on. You know, I messaged them a while ago, and I messaged Zack Ryder, and he was just like, oh, I can't. I'm too busy, right? I'm real, a little busy right now. I'm so sorry. I can't do it. Right. I was like, I was like, ah, hopefully we can work out something in the future, blah, blah, blah. I'm going to email him again, though. Maybe he'll answer again. Or reach out to Hawkins, dude. Like, just say, like, you know, you're a fan of Cap or something like that. I mean, because yeah. Cap's great. Like, I love going to their shows. You should definitely go to the show in Limbrook if they come back. I know. I want to. I there have been times like I wanted to go with like some of my friends. I'm like, yo, let's go. You know, Orange Cassidy's gonna be here, or Rhino, or whoever. It's just some indie guys, like some no names guys. I'm like, yo, we well, let's go think see. about it like this, right? Now I've been there a few times. The very first one I went to, it was uh, Ty Dillinger was the big uh, was the big wrestler. Yeah, Ty Dillinger and Scarlett Bordeaux. Right, Scarlett Bordeaux was in NXT with uh, Killer Cross because Killer Cross and, and her are, are together. Right. So that was a lot of fun. Then you keep going on to the other shows. Like just read the last one I went to, they had Ethan Page from Impact Wrestling and Orange Cassidy was the big was that was the big draw and whatever. Yeah. And then they had one where they had all the e old ECW guys like Justin Credible and the Sandman and Little Guido and and that was like, you know, so they did like a big like eight man tag match with the ECW guys. Right. And stuff. And, you know, they get a lot of indie guys that you'd never heard of before. Their, their stuff's on YouTube and everything. And, um, you know, I remember sitting ringside for the show, and literally this guy almost did a 360 right onto me in the front row. <laughs> I was like, if they don't catch him, I'm, like, dead. This guy, this is, like, 180 pounds coming at me, like, yeah. full speed ahead. Yeah, and now especially with, you know, some of the releases like, like Zack Ryder and Heath Slater, you know, there, I would love to go see those guys. Hawkins is going to bring those guys in for like one off shows here and there. And stuff. exactly. He does like, he does like, I would say about maybe 10 shows a year. I'll say mm -hmm. he does one show in Hicksville, one show in Limbrook. Those have been like the two main spots. But if you go to the back, just remember the Knights of Columbus. If you go to the back to like meet the wrestlers, mm -hmm. it's really great and all. 
but it's also really tight. <laughs> it is bad, dude. Like if you know, because like it's everybody's sandwiched together, they don't really have a lot of space. But you know, maybe we could try to like ho- maybe work on a relationship with with Creative Pro, especially after this all kind of you know goes away or calms down a, a bit. Yeah, I'm gonna. I'll, I'll reach out to people. One show I've been dying to go see, but they haven't been in New York or in the area in a long time. It's been hardcore, House of Hardcore. Yeah, they did a show in Deer Park, in Dix Hills. Yeah, like that was the last one. And we never, I never got a chance to see it. I almost did though, because the card was actually really good. Mm. And they, you know, if you think that, you know, Cap is one thing, because a lot of those guys are in wrestling school, but. You know, they do put on a very, really, really good show. It's a lot of fun. Very family-friendly. You don't get, like, really the douchey, you know, wrestling fans and everything. House of Hardcore, they had, like, a, a great card with, like, I think at the time, I think it was John Morrison before he went to back to WWE. Like, uh, Rich Swan was on it. Tommy Dreamer. Yeah, the, yeah. House of Hardcore has some credible names on there. And I, yeah, I'm, yeah. Like, I'm like, you know, first of all, I miss ECW so much. I miss it so much. I, it's, if I can get just a bit of what, ECW used to be. Plus, I get Tommy Dreamer and some hardcore matches. Sign me up any day of the week. I'll take that. You know, what's amazing is that if Paul Lee had been a bit of a better businessman, ECW, I don't know if ECW would still be in business today, but the 90s, man, like the 90s ECW, those matches were insane. Like, I've seen, like I've seen the YouTube videos. and I'm Probably on one of them, too. <laughs> Because like the so shows, I, clean. I remember you told me some story about like a, a textbook or something like that. Yeah, I gave one of the wrestlers what my SAT book, <laughs> and I gave. Uh, I remember at the very first one I went to, there was a tag match. It was, uh, I think it was uh, uh, Tommy Dreamer and Shane Douglas, the fr- against uh, Raven and Stevie Richards, and Tommy Dreamer. I passed my top my Nintendo to Tommy Dreamer four rows from the back. <laughs> and he used it right on the guy's back. Like he just like you just say it hits him right in the back with it. Oh my God. And so that was actually like really funny. But that's where like guys like Ray Mysterio got started. That's where guys like Taz got started. CM Punk. CM Punk. I mean that's the WWE side. When you go to the old school ECW, mm-hmm. I'm telling you right now, I mean I don't know how long before Jake comes on, but one thing I will say is you can credit Paul Lee with kind of building, rebuilding, rebranding Stone Cold Steve Austin. Really? Because when Steve Austin didn't have a job, he went to ECW and kind of became like that, you know, kind of like a loudmouth type of guy, like kind of like how Stone Cold is. Mm-hmm. Right? He was really like raw. He was very like, you know, vulgar and all that stuff. And then when he went to back to WWE – they had him in some gimmick, and then he eventually became Stone Cold Steve Austin. But you could easily argue that the seeds for that gimmick were planted by Paul Lee and ECW. And then because of that, Stone Cold became a superstar. I mean, that, now it's what made ECW a lot of fun. Yeah, like, I, like I've gone back and watched those ECW matches with, like, the Sandman, Sabu, uh, Terry Funk, all these guys. And I'm just like, like – some of the stuff they were doing was inc- like just insane. This yeah. Oh my god, the shows in like the ECW arena, which is really in like it's in like a crappy neighborhood. Like it's, you know. All right, and I hate to stop you there, but Jake is w- ready and waiting. All right, let's put him on. And we are being joined right now 
by the host of the Jake Asman Show, Monday to Friday, 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. on SB Nation Radio. He's been a good friend of our show. He was also a former alumni of the Sports on the Go One Network. And there he is, Mr. Jake Asman. Jake. Guys, thanks for having me. I, I didn't realize this was a, uh, a Zoom call until I'm like, oh, wait, I, they did mention that you're the show on Zoom. So I'm in my car right now, but I'm parked on the side of uh, the road and I'm ready to go. <laughs> well, it's, I appreciate you thinking so much to pull over the car so you could talk to us for a few minutes. <laughs> <laughs> my pleasure, guys. I, I hope all is well. I hope you guys and your families are safe up there. Yeah, we're doing okay, man. And congratulations for getting back on SB Nation. I know it was a little bit tough with the furlough and everything. And, um, you know, it's good to have you back on the air, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, it was, it was weird. It's like, you know, you do daily radio for so long, and then all of a sudden it's just like you stop going to work, and you're just like, all right, well, what do I do now? So uh, I, I'm just glad that uh, there was an opportunity to come back, and we were able to work it out. And, you know, just th thankful for the opportunity, because uh, I certainly missed having the, the platform to do a show every day. No, definitely. And then I noticed that you were on a very long laundry list of movies you were watching on demand. <laughs> yeah, I tried to fill some time by watching a bunch of classic movies that, uh, for whatever reason, one reason or another, I just had not seen. And you know, some of them I've seen maybe parts of, or you know, it's on TV. Maybe I've seen half of it, but start to finish, every movie on that list. I think there were 30 movies I put out there were movies I had not seen in its entirety. So it was great to knock that off the list as well. And I binged some TV shows. I finally saw The Office. So. You know, I feel like I, I finally get all the memes and everything you yeah. see on social media. You know, people vilify me for the end of time, but I just don't think The Office is as good as everybody makes it out to be. And I'm really trying. Love and I've tried to watch and I've tried to get into it. And maybe it's just because of the dry humor, like it's too dry of humor for me. But I just, I tried and I tried and people get so mad at me for not being into it. And I just, I can't get into it. Like, I, I, I just cannot get into that show at all. Like, I really did try, though. It takes probably about midway into season two when I thought, all right, this is funny. I'll stick with it. And then I will say the last two seasons, they probably didn't need the last two seasons post Michael Scott leaving the show. Yep. And they probably could have done maybe just season eight and then ended there. There was clearly a big dip when, when you know, Steve, Steve Carell left the show. But yeah. overall, very good show. I'm glad I finally got a chance to watch it. All right, Jake. So you were one of the few people who just went to work on Bill O'Brien after he traded DeAndre Hopkins to the Arizona Cardinals. So he wound up getting a second round pick and I think a fourth rounder, if I'm not mistaken. Is that right? Yeah, it would be a, uh, a second and a fourth and then the David Johnson contract of greatness. So, <laughs> so now that the Texans though have brought in Brandon Cooks, which kind of, to me, felt like a bit of a panic move because they didn't have Hopkins anymore and they kind of needed another receiver. Are the Texans – now, listen, we know Cooks is not as good as Hopkins, but are they kind of right back to where they started, in your opinion? I, I guess and no. I, I mean, in theory, if their team is healthy, I think talent-wise, they can make up not having DeAndre Hopkins. But the one thing about Hopkins that I think is a bit underrated is the guy doesn't miss games. He's missed, I think, one game in his entire career. And, you know, one of those games that he missed – or maybe it was two games in his entire career – and one of them he missed because the team was just resting him because it was a meaningless game in week 17 and he was banged up a couple of years back. So this guy always plays. He's durable. He makes plays. And the guys they're relying on now at the receiver spot, a guy like Will Fuller, when he's out there, he's, he's a really good player, but he can't stay on the field. He can't stay healthy. He's always dealing with some sort of, you know, soft tissue injury. 
And then you look at a guy like Brandon Cooks, who, you know, when he's out there, he has potentially has talent. But there's a reason why he's been on all these different teams, not to mention the concussion risk that you're dealing with a player like him. So, you know, I think they have talent. David Johnson is a talented player, but he's been on the decline the last few years. So there's just a lot of question marks with them. And one of the, the few, you know, guarantees they had on the team, besides Deshaun Watson and J.J. Watt, was DeAndre Hopkins. And, and they decided to obviously trade him and, you know, the rest is history, how people in Houston and, you know, around the NFL reacted to that deal. And just an add on to that question real quickly. Um, what does the future hold for Kenny Stills now that Cooks is there? Is he pretty much a cap casualty eventually? Or do you think they're going to try to trade him to, uh, I mean, like Green Bay could use him. Even the Jets could probably use him. So Sure. I tried to do some digging around on uh, on Stills. I, I've heard mixed things. There are some people that think the Texans are just going to hold on to him because of the fact you know, they have a receiver group that, you know, could be, you know, dealing with some injuries if their track record, you know, goes, you know, holds true in 2020. But I also think there's a chance that, you know, this is someone that it could be a cap casualty. So I don't know if there's a clear answer yet on, on where they're at with Kenny Stills. I think a lot of it kind of depends on the training camp this summer. And if Kiki Cutie, who they drafted uh, two years ago and had a promising rookie year when he was out there, but he's another guy that missed a ton of time. If Kiki Kuti now going into year three, because last year he was basically in O'Brien's doghouse for pretty much the whole season. If he has a good training camp and he shows some signs, then I think that maybe hurts Kenny Stills' chances of being on the team. But I think right now it's very much up in the air on what his status will be by week one. Uh, now with all the, like, the, I think now, like, after all these moves that were made this offseason so far, the AFC South is stacked, I think. You know, the Colts, the Jaguars revamped their team. You know, we saw the, how good the Titans were in the playoffs last year. Who, who do you think is the favorite right now in the AFC South? You know, it's tough because I, I think it actually still might be the Texans just based on, hey, you look at the best team in the division or best quarterback in the division. I think it's still Deshaun Watson. But, you know, it, it, to me, Tennessee's got the best roster in the division. Because of what they could do, you know, from a defensive standpoint, and obviously what they have, you know, at, with at running back with Derrick Henry. But the, the question with Tennessee is going to be, all right, Ryan Tannehill's been, you know, for, for the most part, an average to slightly above average quarterback in his career. Last year, he obviously took off. He played great when comeback player of the year. Can he replicate that? Is he someone that, you know, kind of figured it out later on in his career? Or, you know, is he kind of a one-hit wonder? Like, we've seen some quarterbacks have really good years and then, you know, go back to what they normally are. So, I would still lean Houston because I think, you know, Deshaun Watson is that special. But I'm not going to discount what the Colts have done. I think the question with them is obviously Phillip Rivers. I mean, the guy last year was not good. Statistically, he wasn't good in just the eyeball test. I, I just thought, you know, he looked like a guy that lost a significant amount of, you know, his, his greatness that we saw for so much in his career. So I think it's a muttered division. I think you can make a case for three of the four teams and, you know, it'd be funny if Jacksonville makes a run after everyone's saying they're tanking and whatnot. But we'll see where Gardner Minshew turns out to be, you know, getting a chance to be, you know, the week one starter and really, you know, try and, you know, take a stranglehold of that position going into his second year. So it's a fascinating division. But if I'm making a pick, you know, give me the team that has Deshaun Watson. So I'd still, t I'd still say Texans, but I'm not very confident when I say that. We're talking to Jake Asman, host of the Jake Asman Show, Monday to Friday, 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. right here right here <laughs> on uh, SB Nation Radio. Definitely uh, check it out. Um, I want to switch over to the Jets, if you're, if you're okay with that. I'm sure you the are. The pain, yes, of course. <laughs> okay. I am convinced that last year, if Sam Donald had played a full season, he would have had a much better year than it looked under Adam Gase. 
Because when I looked at his stats, he had 19 touchdowns, 13 interceptions. He was really strong, I thought, the second half of the season. Sure. And half of those picks were in really two games. The games were the Patriot game where he saw ghosts, and then the Jaguar game right after that where he threw three picks. Am I wrong to think that Sam Darnold can thrive under Adam Gase? And is it possible he could easily throw, like, 30 touchdowns this year? Yeah, I, you know, Craig, I, I agree with you. I, I mean, you know, I'm one of probably the biggest Sam Darnold. I don't, I don't even want to call myself a Sam Darnold defender because I think I'm a realist. I think if you look at Sam Darnold and what he went through last year, people forget the Jets had a winning record when Sam played. They were 7-5 and post-mono. They were 7-6 and overall when he played. And let's also acknowledge that week one against Buffalo where they blew the 16-0 lead, which is still just – I cringe when I have to watch highlights of that game. I was in, Georgia, when, I was in Georgia getting updates on my phone at a wedding. It was just – it was a nightmare. And Darnold obviously is playing with mono in that game. And you don't just get mono two days later. So he's obviously under the weather, and he said he was sick in that game. So, you know, I look at Sam and I go, you know, if, if you're an NFL fan, you're probably not watching every Jet game. And the Jets are 1-7. and seven. You're probably not watching the Jets like a Jet fan is. But if you watch Sam Darnold play, you see how special he is. You yeah. see that he had no offensive line and barely any, uh, you know, weapons on the outside. They lost Quincy and Newmore early. Uh, the line got beat up. You know, Mike McCagden's, you know, uh, offensive line strategy, you know, oh, it, the, 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 there wasn't a strategy. They never addressed the line. It was a joke. One of the first moves Joe Douglas made was trying to get um, it, try and get the, the center from Carolina to come out of retirement. His name is escaping me, but he was horrendous. Well, Matt Khalil. thank Ryan you. Ryan Khalil. Yeah, Matt Khalil was here in Houston, and yeah. got, he was got awful as well. My goodness. But, um, <laughs> yeah, you know, so it's like I, when you watch Sam Darnold play – if you're a Jet fan, you should be excited about the future because you see what – you see the tool sets there. You see some of these special moments, some I'm, of these plays. I was and and I really believe if they surround them with the right players and the line is better, which I think by accident Joe Douglas has already improved this offensive line. Absolutely. I think you can take a huge totally step agree. in year three. Yeah. You know, one thing I was watching a lot of the um, – like I was watching some YouTube videos of uh, Jets games from this past season, and some of the throws that Darnold makes are just like you can't teach that. Like he, the, like the way he scrambles and finds that receiver in the corner. He's got, he's got a beautiful touch on the ball. I mean, like, I really think that under this team in a second year under the same offense, and you're bringing back guys who also have experience under in this offense, like Jamison Crowder, Chris Herndon, Ryan Griffin, even a guy like Vincent Smith, who when you were on our show last, you hyped him up. You liked him from when he was on the Texans, because they got him off the Texans practice squad. I mean, yeah, he's and, you have a year of experience under this offense. I think this offense could really thrive in 2020. I, I agree with you. And I think, you know, you look at some of the weapons, everyone wants to talk about, oh, the Jets have no weapons. And, yeah, do they have an elite wide receiver group? No. But do, I think it could be above average. I really do. I think you look at Jamison Crowder in the slot and what he did last year. He was outstanding. I think if you look at the two tight ends you mentioned, you know, Ryan Griffin's another guy that was a really like, shrewd move that Joe Douglas made right before the start of the year. He played well. Chris Herndon, we didn't see at all last year, but we watched him as a rookie, you know, really have that that, that, that great chemistry with Darnold, you know, towards the, the back end of 2018. So I think you look at what they did. It starts with the offensive line because we all realize just how poor it was last year. If the line's better, Sam will be better. If the line's better, Le'Veon Bell will be better. And I really think you know, Denzel Mims is going to come in and be a day one starter and be an instant contributor for this team. So I look at the Jets and I'm cautiously optimistic. Listen, this was a team that was seven and nine last year and they very easily could have been nine and seven, 10 and six. And there's a, you know, an extra playoff team now available in the, in the conference. New England doesn't have Brady anymore. Like the, 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 anything short of the Jets playing meaningful games 
late into the season is just unacceptable. It's been 10 years. It's time to make the playoffs. Yeah, that's one thing I've noticed about, like, Jet fans is, like, I've noticed Jet fans on Twitter and everything, like, they love Joe D. Like, they – like, I don't, I don't really see them ripping Joe Douglas very much unless maybe I'm not following – I'm following the wrong Jet accounts. I don't know. But I see a lot of praise every time he makes a signing, you know, that they really like what they're seeing from him, just rebuilding that old line, you know, to get guys like Connor McGovern, which I thought was a great pickup, and Greg Van Roden from the Panthers – and then he went double down on it by getting Becton and uh, the kid from Charlotte in the fourth round at Cameron Clark. All you need to know about, you know, what Joe Douglas thought of the Jets offensive line is that they, they don't have a single starter coming back that, that, he, that he was responsible for, right? You look at Alex Lewis. That was a trade that he made over the summer. He's the only guy that's returning on that offensive line right now. So, yeah, I mean, I, I like what Joe Douglas has done. He said he was going to get Sam weapons. He said he was going to get Sam protection. And he's done that so far. I would have loved to have seen them, you know, find another wide receiver that can come in and make an impact. But I'll tell you what, guys, I think Rashad Perryman is, is someone that could have a, a, you know, a really good impact right away. He's basically, you know, maybe a, a lesser Robbie Anderson. But I, I can see Perryman and Mims being really good on the outside together. Obviously, we know about Crowder in the slot. I, I like what they have. And I really think that if Sam just could stay healthy, he's going to take a huge step forward being in this offense for a full offseason and really hit the ground running when the Jets start the season. I, I am, as I keep saying, cautiously optimistic that the Jets could be a lot better than people think. No, and I, I 100% agree with you. And the one thing, you know, I like about Sam Donald is, and the one thing I like, I just, it just feels, I feel a lot more confident with Sam Donald going to, into his year three than I did with Mark Sanchez after him leading the Jets to two AFC championship games. Like, there's just something about Sam Donald. You can see when he plays, the way he commands the huddle, that you just love. And we haven't had a quarterback like that since probably Vinny Testaverde was the quarterback for the New York Jets. You know, I love, I'll, I'll always appreciate Mark Sanchez for what he did. But, you know, it's just something about Sam Donald, the way he commands, the way he plays, that you just got to love and feel confident in him. And, yeah, I 100% agree with, like, you know, he got – Joe Douglas got the weapons. He got the line that he needed. And I think Sam Donald's going to thrive in year three under in the Jets' offense. You know, I'll tell you what. I, I think about this often. Imagine, you know, the Jets had the offensive line they had in 2009 and oh. 2010 right now. You know, yeah. we'd be talking about a team that it would be a legitimate Super Bowl contender. That's how special those lines were, mm -hmm. you know, Mark's first three years in the league when they led the NFL in rushing. So, I, I think there's no doubt Sam has a chance to be, you know, not just a good quarterback but a great quarterback. But it comes down to his health. comes down to how, you know, the rest of the team plays around him. And, you know, I'm optimistic that he's going to be that guy. And I think another underrated part about the Jets is their defense finished in the top 10 last year with all the injuries in the world on that defense. And Greg Williams has found a way, you know, to, to have different guys come and play. And, you know, we've never heard of some of these guys yeah. that now had valuable playing experience last year that now go back to being backups. And all of a sudden the Jets have a whole lot of depth on the defensive side of the ball. Mosley's coming back. Avery Williamson's coming back. You know, you look at the Jets linebacking courts as deep as any in the league. So, I'm very optimistic about Sam, of course, but I think, you know, you look at the Jets' defense last year, I think it's criminally underrated how good they were given the circumstances they were dealing with. Um, do you see, like, Joe, Joe D maybe making one more move kind of under the radar? Like, a, you know, I know there's been some talk about Logan Ryan. It was kind of blown out of proportion in New York. That, you know, yeah, <laughs> one, of our, one of our favorites, so I just – who I can't stand, but that's a – you know. But – do you see another move? Because right now it's quiet, and this is also the time where I think that Douglas might pounce on a guy like whether it's a Logan Ryan 
or maybe Larry Warford for the line, although I'm not sure if he'll go line because I think he's pretty content with what he's got, or maybe Dark Horse, Clowney. I think it'd be tough with, you know, with Clowney, depending on how much money he wants. I don't rule it out, uh, especially Logan Ryan. It just seems like, you know, the Jets made their offer. He's trying to shop it around and get more money, and no team has been able to offer him more money, which is why he still remains a free agent. I do think ultimately, you know, he'd be the guy out of the three you just mentioned there, Craig, they'd sign. I also th- could see a scenario where once training camp starts and we have an idea of when that's going to be and things, you know, get, get back to, you know, some semblance of normalcy this summer, I can see the Jets bringing in a, a veteran wide receiver to camp and giving that guy a chance to make the team. I think they know that they're going to have Perryman and Mims as their, you know, their outside receivers and Crowder on the slide. But you look at the depth and behind Vincent Smith, you know, there's a bunch of question marks and they, they have a bunch of undrafted rookies that they brought in. So I, I can see them maybe adding a veteran wide receiver, but I think, you know, for the most part, unless it's Logan Ryan, I, I just I'd be a little surprised if they made any other you know big splash at this point. So how happy were you that Tom Brady is going to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers? <laughs> you know, it, it's thrilling. It really is. Yeah, you know, because I uh, you know I'm friends with so many Patriot fans. I went to college with a lot of them, and it just you know I, I, we've been tortured our whole lives by Tom Brady. So you know it's it's nice that not only did he leave New England. But he went to the NFC. He's yep. playing for the Bucs. So it's not like he's still on the conference or the Jets are still going to have to deal with him. Like, to me, my dream scenario is Brady goes out there and plays great for the Bucs, and the Patriots are 2-14. and 14, Or not 2-14 and 14 because we don't want them to get Trevor Lawrence. But let's say the Patriots are like 5-11 and 11 and just this is not good. And, and Brady's great and he's excelling elsewhere because I want to try and inflict as much pain as possible to every Patriot fan. So I think that's the best way to try and do it. New England's awful. And Brady's leading the Bucks to, like, you know, the playoffs and he's playing well and who knows what happens. But in your opinion, do you think the Bucks are kind of maybe – now that they have Brady and, listen, that offense is going to be insane with Godwin and uh, Mike Evans and, of course, and O.J. Howard, Cameron Braid, just to name – you know, pretty, that's a, I mean, I'm sure there's more that I'm missing. But do you think the expectations on them are at an all-time high – like pretty much it's Super Bowl or bust in 2020 for them? I think it's certainly high. You know, it, 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 the Bucks haven't made the playoffs in so long that I think just getting there would be a big accomplishment for them. But you look at, you know, what they have, you know, defensively, they were a top 10 rated defense last year. You know, Todd Bowles, awful head coach, but he's a very good defensive coordinator. So he did a nice job last year. You look at what they have, you know, weapons-wise, you just mentioned it. I, I mean, anything, anything short of the playoffs I think would be, a big disappointment. I think the NFC is loaded, so it could be tough to be like, oh, Super Bowl or bust. But I, you know, if the Bucks, I don't think the Bucks are going to be like the, you know, this year's version of the Browns from last year. I, I don't see that happening. I think Brady's too good. I think Arians is, is not Hugh Jackson, or you know, he's not Freddie Kitchens. Like I, I think you have a good head coach, a quarterback with the best weapons he's ever played with around him. That's highly motivated to leave New England and play well. I see the Bucks being probably at least a 10-11 win team, and maybe you know, having the opportunity to go to a Super Bowl. I wouldn't pick them, but I think they're certainly in the mix. They've earned that They've earned that right after what they've done. I'm going to switch it over to baseball for a second. I need, I need you to tell me if I'm crazy or if I'm right. Before, before this whole coronavirus thing started up, the biggest news in, in the world, in the sports world, was the Houston Astros uh, cheating scandal. Now, my conspiracy is that the Houston Astros released the COVID-19 virus oh, onto everyone. Oh, God. Just to, just to get I the told news you not to tell him that on this show. <laughs> just to get the news off them, and it, it spiraled out of control. 
thoughts. <laughs> you know, it's funny. As you were saying that, I was thinking in my head, yeah, you know, I, I was about to blurt out, ah, yes, the Astros were the ones who created Corona. And then you ended up actually saying it. So I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, all right, there we go. You know, you know, it's funny because you're right. That was the biggest story. And now it's like, you know, not only do none of the players get suspended, not only does the title not get vacated, but they don't even have to deal with fans that were going to be vicious to them when they go on the road and boo them the whole year. They don't even have to deal with that now. So you talk about a team that has kind of like been able to, you know, you know, slide right under the radar through all this. It's been the Houston Astros for sure. But is this kind of something with them that's maybe like a this whole pandemic and the fact that even if we have baseball at this point, and I'm not really that optimistic about baseball because I just don't see a full-fledged plan in effect by now, or at least something that's really close. Now you have the players' union and the owners, you know, haggling over money. And outside of the no-fans thing, I just don't really see, a, you know, an ironclad plan where the players are going to be protected from possibly getting sick. So in many ways, is this a blessing in disguise for the Astros to deal with in 2020? Or do you think it'll just – in 2021, when their fans are, you know, back in stadiums full, full-fledged, full are they just going to get destroyed in 2021 by the fans? Yeah, I, I think obviously that will be, you know, there'll be fans that are going to boo, but it's not going to be nearly as intense and nearly, you know, as crazy of a story as it would be if it was, you know, coming off the heels of, you know, the revelation of the scandal coming out and boom, you know, here comes the season. I think it will definitely, it will feel different if and when, that does happen. And who knows, maybe by the playoffs this year, fans will be able to go to games and how crazy would it be if, you know, the Yankees and Astros meet in the ALCS and it's the first time fans are allowed, you know, in, in the stands, you know, something like that. Yeah, but you know, it's just, it's just crazy timing, right? I mean, the Astros were, were going to be the villain and they'll still be the villain, you know, during the season, but it's going to be a totally different dynamic if, you know, there's no fans in the stands. Like they we all expect they were being during spring training. They were getting hit during training. It was crazy. Not by a guy like that wasn't going to make the roster. I think it was by like one of the actual starters on a team. They were like, I think Altuve got hit once. I think somebody else got hit. I think Bregman got hit once. And I mean, if they're getting beamed in spring training, it was only a matter of time before it was going to happen, you know, in the regular season. Yeah. Yeah, there definitely were going to be some incidents. I mean, baseball was trying to put in rules to, you know, try and guard against, you know, bench clearing brawls and guys being thrown at. But you knew play, players always take matters into their own hands. And, you know, baseball has all those unwritten rules. So you knew there was going to be, you know, I'm sure multiple incidents during the season. There still might be. It's just a totally different dynamic when you're going to be doing it in like, you know, an empty, you know, an empty stadium. But it's still going to be compelling. I mean, when they do play, you know, teams, you know, because there's no crowds, maybe we have field mics pick up things. Different players are yelling at, at different Astro players. so. I still think it's going to be compelling TV to watch, you know, when the baseball season hopefully does come back. Now, you're, I was going to say, you're a Yankees fan, but you cover sports in Houston. When the scandal came out, as a Yankee fan, how did you feel? And then, like, as a, as a sports reporter in Houston, how did you feel? Well, it was interesting because the show I do on SB Nation Radio is a national show, even though we're based here in Houston. Mm-hmm. So I kind of looked at it from the national perspective. And then, you know, it was really interesting doing the, getting the chance to, to be on you know, ESPN 97.5 here in Houston locally and talk about it because it's kind of two different perspectives. You know, as a Yankee fan, listen, I, I felt they got off. I, I felt they got off pretty easy. I thought Manfred didn't do a good job. I understand his argument was, well, I had to give immunity because I needed to get information. Yeah. Oh, I, I, I couldn't suspend the players because the union wouldn't let me. Well, at least try. Make Tony Clark, the head of the union, look like the bad guy. Like, show, show the baseball fan that you care about the integrity of this sport. 
rather than just letting these players and in what you called your investigation called a player driven scheme, you know, show some guts and do something about it rather than, you know, let them off the hook. And, you know, the, the thing they could have done is they could have vacated the title because now, you know, Astro fans are big. We're still World Series champs, but no one looks at that cleanly. They, like anytime people talk about the Astros, they're always going to be linked you know, to that scandal. So Manfred could have done that. I just thought the punishment was weak, you know, getting rid of A.J. Hinch and Jeff Luno, giving them suspensions. You know, I, I just didn't think, you know, it, it was the appropriate type of punishment. And, you know, I think a lot of Astro fans, you know, recognize, you know, what they what the team did was wrong. But here's where I will agree with the Astro fans here. A lot of them could acknowledge, hey, we did this. It was bad. It's a bad look for the organization and whatnot. But you can't tell us the Red Sox didn't have any idea what was going on. Alex Cora can't go from, you know, being our bench coach in 2017, going to Boston in 2018 as the manager, winning the World Series. Red Sox get caught for cheating, doing something similar to the Astros. And the report for baseball says, oh, Alex Cora didn't know it was going on. Like, we're supposed to believe that the guy that was, you know, the quote-unquote ringleader in Houston went to Boston did, did another type of cheating scandal, had no idea what was going on. It's just, that's where I kind of feel like, all right, the Astros, yeah, they deserve to be slammed by everybody. But the Red Sox, you know, they've kind of been given a free pass here in a sense as well. Mm-hmm. With the Astros, do you think that um, since in a year this will kind of, this will, well, it won't blow over, but it won't be nearly as impactful as it is right now. What does that mean for A.J. Hinch? Do you think he'll wind up managing after his year suspension is up in the majors next year? Or do you think that he's pretty much not blackballed out of the league? I don't want to use that term, but is he going to find it very difficult because teams aren't going to want the drama following him to whatever team he winds up going to? Hinch is so highly regarded by people around the game, and he has such good relationships with so many different executives around the game. But I do think he's going to get another chance to be a manager. The same could not be said for Jeff Ludo. I, I mean, reputation-wise, people around the game detest this guy. And I heard a lot of rumblings of that you know, just being here in the city on how paranoid he was with certain things. You know, he, he was the very definition of a control freak. And I, I think a lot of people heard rumblings on uh, about that with Ludo. I, I don't really know him. I've only met him a handful of times. I really don't know him personally, so I can't speak to, you know, some of the allegations about him that are out there, but I can tell you from interacting with A.J. Hinch, he's a likable guy. He seems like a stand-up dude, and I think that ultimately, you know, he was one of the first guys to come out and apologize and own it. I think that's going to help him down the line, and I do think you know, the fact that he was he, he is still considered a really good manager, I think he's going to get an opportunity to manage again one day. If not next year, then in the near future, I think for sure. Now, have you heard anything, you know, what might be going on with, you know, playing games in for the season at all? Like anything new that we haven't really heard of yet? People around the Astros expect the uh, the season to, to happen 100%. I mean, the, the money stuff between the players and the owners, I, I think it's a bad look for both sides. You know, what Blake Snell said, whether you agree with him or not, that should have probably just – I don't even think probably that shouldn't have been said publicly. Let your union head deal with that stuff. You know, one of five Americans are out of work. People don't want to hear, you know, you don't want to play for a few less million dollars, you know, playing a major league sport when, you know, you have essential workers at, you know, at the grocery stores and at the post office still working and they're not being paid millions. So no one wanted to hear that from Blake Snow, but everyone I talked to thinks ultimately, you know, the confidence level, the confidence level is still very high that the players and the owners, they'll get something done. We'll have a spring training that's probably about two and a half, three weeks. And, you know, the plan's still around the 4th of July weekend to get, give things a go. So, you know, that, that's – I'm kind of hearing the same thing that I feel like everyone's been hearing. But, you know, that's kind of the latest on, 
you know, at least what people around the Astros think. They think there's going to be a season that's going to be played. What about with regards to, like, the NBA and the NHL? Because what it's looking like is that this summer could wind up being a crazy summer with all three sports going on simultaneously, which would have probably happened in April anyway. But NBA looks like they're kind of 50-50. The NHL seems like they're still trying to formulate this 2014 playoff thing. Um, do you see all three leagues back this summer? I, I see. I see. I, I, you know what? I do see it. I, I really think that we're going to get to a point here where they're, they're, we're just, it seems like we're trying in the right direction. Like every day I'm reading this stuff that it seems like more and more that, you know, we're going to have a, a resolution on, on both hockey and basketball. It looks like it could be the bubble city thing where it's like, oh, we'll go to Orlando if we're the NBA or the NHL is talking about having two different cities you know, serving as the hub for their playoff system. But I, I do think these leagues are going to come back. There's so much money that's on the line, and especially now in television revenue, you know, when you look at these postseason contracts, that I, I think these leagues are going to do everything in their power to try and crown a champion. And, you know, it's a little more complex with baseball because baseball has its full season to play. You know, they can't do, a, a you know, a biodome situation where they're just in one area for a full year. No one's going to leave their families for five months. But – with hockey and basketball, it's just a couple of weeks since you're just talking about the playoffs. So I think it's very likely they get something done. And I do fully expect that we're going to have, you know, an NBA postseason and an NHL postseason at some point. Now, considering, you know, with this whole COVID-19 going on, Aaron Judge had a pretty serious injury before this all started. You know, it's kind of like a blessing in disguise. Well, not a blessing because obviously, you know, we know what's going on. But in Aaron Judge's sake, you know, he and the Yankees' sake, he was going to miss like a, a month or two due to this rib injury. But now that, you know, the season's been delayed and whatnot, it kind of looks, you know, better for that he'll start the season on time. But what 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 do you think of his injury? Like, like what's wrong with him, really? Because it's, it's still a mystery to some of us. Yeah, you know, it, it seems like he's still not fully recovered yet either, which is a bit of a concern if you're a Yankees fan, just because we were led to believe that, you know, he'd be fine you know, whenever the season does return. And now, you know, it, it seems like I heard Brian Cashman make comments last week that, you know, right now he wouldn't be ready to participate in spring training. It's spring training where to start. So I think it's definitely a concern whenever he is healthy, he's got to stay healthy, you know, for however long the season is for the Yankees. There's no doubt. But what, what frustrates me about his particular injury is that he suffered it last September, making a diving catch in the outfield. I think it was September 18th. That's what's and, so hot about it. And so the fact that it took so long for them to diagnose what it was and, you know, he's doing all his off-season training and ramping up when he could have been resting, getting healthy in the winter and then gearing up for the season, it just seems like someone, you know, on the Yankees and the medical staff, I don't know how it happens, but it just seems like, you know, the injury situation should have been handled better. And it's like we all know how bad it was for the Yankees with injuries last year, and it's like 2019 never ended. 2020, you know, with Severino already going down and obviously Judge, you know, getting injured here and maybe not being ready when the season does re resume. It just feels like a continuation of what we saw last year. So here's my last question, and I'm going to jump back to football. Um, I want to get your thoughts on this whole new um, – this new protocol now with regards to interviewing minority candidates because, you know, it's been, it's been a huge topic for going on now, geez, years. It almost just seems like the Rooney rule is just there just to kind of – interview a guy, but he's not really the guy that's going to get the job, but you're just kind of satisfying the rule. And Goodell had come out this, I guess, what this possible rule of now building, I guess, 
if teams interview hire an African-American coach or a minority coach or an executive, they can move up in the draft as much as 16 spots if they hire both in the same year. To me, it just seems like it's a bit of a slap in the face to minority candidates because it seems like you're only really hiring the guy because you want the draft. You know, you, you like what the guy can do, but you, I think you might be happier with being in the uh, – moving up in the draft. But I wanted to get your thoughts on that as a possibility because a lot of people seem to be really tearing it to shreds on Twitter and, like, all social media. Yeah, and I saw that the NFL today, you know, they basically announced that they were tabling, you know, the, the, the draft pick compensation discussion for the minority candidates. You know, I've talked about this on the radio show the last two days. I think clearly, you know, there, there is an issue with the lack of minority coaching candidates and the lack of minority, you know, GMs in the league. I think it's two uh, African-American GMs and, and four African-American uh, head coaches or three. And then, you know, I, I think it's four minority head coaches because Ron Rivera is, yeah. you know, uh, he's obviously not black. But you, you look at, you know, kind of where the NFL is right now. I, I think what needs to be done is just, you know, finding different ways not to necessarily incentivize teams to hire minority candidates, but to give teams better opportunities you know, to be put in position where they would hire one. And, and actually, you know, one of the suggestions I made on the show, I saw the league adopt today effective immediately that, you know, moving forward, coordinators, when you're interviewing someone for a coordinator position, you have to speak to at least one minority candidate. They made it so it's not just one minority candidate you have to speak with when you're being a head coach, it's now two. And they also did something I think that's so important. NFL teams can no longer block assistant coaches from getting a um, essentially getting a, a, a promotion. So if you're a defensive line coach and you, you know, you're the defensive line coach of the Jets and the Green Bay Packers call you and say, hey, you know, we want to interview you for a D.C. job. Well, the Jets could block the Packers from allowing their D.C. coach to go and interview for that job. So all of a sudden, now the NFL is saying, well, you can't block assistant coaches from interviewing for jobs that would be a promotion. So that's another way where you just let, you know, your, your top assistants kind of rise to the ranks a lot quicker because what we've seen over and over again, outside of the rare exception like a John Harbaugh or a Joe Judge, who were special teams coordinators, the overwhelming majority of head coaching candidates were successful OCs or DCs. So you got to open, open it up where more assistants can rise to those coordinator ranks, and you got to open it up where people interviewing for those coordinator ranks are more minority candidates. So I, th I do think you know, some of the rules they did implement as of today are, are going to be positive in regards to trying to get more minority candidates in place. All right. Well, before I let you go, um, yesterday we had Isaac Feldman on our show. So he's one of, he's one of, one of our favorites and we got into talking about what shows we're binge watching. So we need to know right now, before you get out of here, what show is Jake Asman currently binge watching? Oh, that's tough. So it was the office, as I mentioned. Um, I, I also was watching the show Dave, which was on Hulu and FX. That was pretty good. Um, that ended season one. I'm actually in the process of deciding on a new show. So if you guys have something that you say, hey, you, I, I need to be watching, let me know. Because I'm kind of, you know, I, I'm at that point now where it's like I just finished a show and now I'm trying to decide what I'm going to dive back into. I'm going to blow Clem's spot up a little bit here because – go ahead, Clem. Why don't you tell him what you're watching? I just – I literally – last night I just finished The Sopranos. So like, oh. I mean, my God, look how far back he is. I know. I'm way far back. But, Jake, I'm in the same situation as you. You know, I, I just finished The Sopranos. I need a new show to watch. And I, I narrowed it down to three. It's either Ozark, Peaky Blinders, or The Wire. Peaky Blinders is really good. I've heard really good things about Peaky Blinders. I'm still watching uh, Narcos Mexico right now. Okay. That's, like one heard... of my, that's one of my favorite. It's really good. Like, it's really, really good. Like, very deep and – 
Diego Luna is amazing as the the main as the main character. So if you, it's on Netflix. If you can deal with the subtitles because literally ninety percent of every episode is in Spanish. It's well worth it's well worth it. So I got that suggestion. Yeah, I heard good things about all those shows you just mentioned. Um, I, I I will say you know everyone keeps telling me Ozark Ozark Ozark. So I think I'm leaning towards that. But you know, every, every show you said it sounds pretty good. He is the host of the Jake Asman Show every Monday to Friday, 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. on SB Nation Radio. He is a good friend of our show. And uh, we just want to say thanks to Jake Asman for just checking in with us and uh, talking some Texans football, Jets football, and everything else going on in the sports world. We really appreciate it. Jake, stay safe out there, man. And uh, like we said earlier, it's good to have you back on the radio, bro. Likewise, guys. Thanks so much for having me. Best of luck with the show. And I hope, uh, you know, you and all your listeners, you guys continue to stay safe up there. I'm definitely thinking about New York. All right, man. Take it easy. All right. Take care of yourself. You got it, guys. Thank you. All right. That was Jake Asman. Again, you can catch his show every Monday to Friday, 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. Right, right here. I, I don't know why I keep doing that. <laughs> on, uh, on SB Nation Radio, definitely check it out. He's, he's awesome. And he's, and like I said, I said it earlier, and I think you'll agree. If it wasn't for Jake, I wouldn't know. I wouldn't, we wouldn't be having conversations with Isaac. I'm convinced yeah. of that. Look, and uh, again, Jake, Jake, another great interview. Every time we talk to Jake, it's always so nice. Very, it's just very clean, wholesome. We get crack some laughs, and you know, it's just a very good in overall interview with Jake. He's in like a parking lot at like a Target somewhere <laughs> talking on so <laughs> yeah, No, Jake's Jake's the man, and we really appreciate him uh, helping us out and being on our show for a few minutes just to talk some football and everything. So I meant to tell you before Jake came on. So I texted Isaac late last night just to say, you know, thank you for coming on our show and everything. And I just wrote, you know, always a lot of laughs when you're a guest. And he just wrote, he wanted me to uh, just kind of relay this message. He wrote, thanks, brother. I appreciate that. You and Chris are cool dudes. And we enjoy watching the, and enjoy doing the show. And uh, he put something on Facebook that just made me laugh that uh, he's like, he wrote like uh, moving up in the world or something like that. And it's like he moved, uh, he wrote, Iktagon.com is evolving and it's just basically a picture of like a desk, like like a little desk, probably like what you have in your basement right now with an Apple computer on top of it and a microphone. Because if you watch the video of us doing it last night, man, that room he's in looked like something out of the movie Taken. <laughs> <laughs> like it was like this little box of a room. You know? But uh no, Isaac is cool and Jake again, thank you so much for being on our show. Um, see, man, I wasn't wrong about Darnold, dude. Like, you know, not to say like, you know, Jake definitely reiterated what I was trying to say because yeah. a lot of people missed that part, you know, missing those games really. And the fact that he wasn't a hundred percent against Buffalo. Yeah. I mean, watching him make those throws, if you go back to the videos of the games that they won last year, when he played the giants and they played the Redskins and, you know, and they played whoever else that, you know, they beat and everything you really see some just amazing throws that he makes. Right. Whether scrambling, just the perfect touch. Like he's got such a great touch on the ball, man. And, like, I really think he's going to – like, I'm not saying he's going to be like Drew Brees under Adam Gase. And it was kind of funny because I was reading something the other day about Gase, and I think it was on SNY. Um, Ralph Facchiano actually does an awesome job writing about the Jets and Giants and stuff. And – he kind of, I guess he was interviewing um, like a couple of AFC like uh, scouts or just, you know, he kind of, he just made them, he didn't name them in the interview, but he basically said that, you know, Gase is who he is. 
But at the same time, he, you know, the, this person thought that it was unfair that Gase was labeled a quarterback whisperer and yeah. you know, all that stuff. And like, you know, people put a lot of crap on Gase to be this, you know, savior of teams and offenses and everything. And the Manish Maidas of the world do this all the time. And, you know, and maybe it is unfair to Gase. You know, maybe that's not really what he is or how he patted him. You know, it wasn't like he was patting himself on the back. Like, yeah, if it wasn't for me, Peyton Manning wouldn't be anything, you know. I mean, that's very extreme right. to think that. Right. And I'm saying I think this is the first time in a long time that Gase has a quarterback that he knows can thrive. So if you think about when Tannehill was on the Dolphins, at the time, Tannehill wasn't that good. Yeah. Everybody expected Gase to turn Tannehill into Dan Marino. In Chicago, when he had Cutler, Cutler was a lazy freaking quarterback. Everybody knew that. Yeah, he had, you know, he, he played okay. It wasn't like he didn't play bad, but you could tell just by the look on Cutler's face yeah. on the sideline, he just looked lazy. Like, he just looked like he didn't care. Yeah, exactly. But I'm saying, like, some of the things that Sam puts on the table, man, you just can't teach that. Like, you just can't. Yeah, and it's like, like I said, like, you know, it was just, there's something about him when you just watch him that you just feel like, you know, he's yards better than what Sanchez was after leading the Jets to two AFC championship games. You know, and I love, like I said, I love Sanchez for doing that. He got, he basically got, he helped us get to the AFC championship game. You know, without Sanchez, we don't get there. But, you know, it's just like, I feel like Sam is just yards in front of what Sanchez was at this time. And we haven't had a quarterback we were this confident in since Vinny Testaverde. But here's another thing I'm going to drop on you, and I know you're going to be a little caught off guard when I say this. I'm even convinced that with the right coaching, and if he hadn't been thrown out to the wolves so quickly, I think Geno could have been a decent quarterback for the Jets. You know, it's funny. I, 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 I don't disagree with you because I'm, I'm – this may have been like a few weeks back. I'm in one of my Jets Facebook groups, and one guy was just like, Oh, why did why did Geno Smith never get a chance? So I look back, you know, before I said anything dumb on Facebook, so where I look like an idiot. I look back at some of his stats and some of it, and you know, he led the Jets to an eight and eight record his rookie year. Not mm-hmm. not not bad rookie year, especially with a team where he had no one. But like I like I just mentioned there, he had no one when he was when he was playing. He had no one. Yeah, he, was, it was, and I said this to people too, and people, you know. People ripped Geno to shreds every chance they got. And listen, Geno had some brutal games. I'm not yeah. going to – you know, when Geno didn't have it, he didn't have it. Mm-hmm. And he was a turnover machine. But at the same time, I blame Rex for that. Because – and I say this a lot. Rex – listen, I was a big Rex Ryan fan. So I'm not going to sit here and say, oh, they should have never hired Rex Ryan because then I'd be the biggest hypocrite on two feet. Yeah. Did I think Rex's act got tired? Yes. Yeah, definitely. Definitely got tired. But it doesn't mean I didn't respect what he did for the Jets, and I really did think he was a good coach. He just didn't know how to roll with the ties. He didn't know how to change. And that's the problem when you have you hire coordinators to be coaches because they just focus on their part of the team. If it's a defensive guy, it's going to be a defensive coach. You know, Todd Bowles was a defensive coach, so he focused on defense more times than not. He didn't teach anything to the quarterbacks. He didn't teach anything to the receivers or the running backs and all that stuff. He didn't run the offense. And you do see this situation like that now with Gase and Williams. 
Although it's pretty simple. Gase probably just says, you will control the defense. I'm not going to step on your toes. You're the defensive coordinator. You do what you got to do, and I'll run the offense. Yeah. The problem with Rex was, and I take it back to that preseason game where he took, put Sanchez in in the fourth quarter of a meaningless preseason game against the Giants when he wanted that stupid trophy, that Snoopy trophy that they get when they win a game because it's the Met Life Bowl or some, something like that. <laughs> That was a game you didn't, should never have put Sanchez in in the fourth quarter against a bunch of linemen that have no chance of making the team. And you inadvertently got your quarterback hurt. Yeah. You were reckless and you were irresponsible. And it put an unnecessary burden on a guy like Geno Smith, who was a second-round pick, who, did, who everyone knew needed grooming, who wasn't ready to be an opening-day starter in the league. And Gino showed you some flashes. He did. He also made some really careless mistakes, too. I'm not going to disagree. Yeah. But I just think under the right coaching, under the right tutelage, I think he could have been a good starting quarterback in this league. You he know, had the arm and he had the legs. Yeah. I, I mean, we'll never know what he could have been, you know. But And, yeah, I, I love Rex. I'll love Rex. Till he's probably my, he'll probably be my favorite coach of all time. But, you know – you saw it with, even with Sanchez, you know, Sanchez never really developed properly under Rex Ryan. And when it came time for Mark Sanchez to be the big dog, Sanchez wasn't able to do it, you know? And then when you had, I, I, I think it's set Rex Ryan up to fail. You know, that's the team, the team he, uh, Geno Smith had his rookie year was not good. G, Jeremy Curley was the best wide receiver. Santonio Holmes was one foot out the door. It, Matt Forte was at the end of his end of his string it was just it was just not a good team, you know. And even the following year, the Jets they got yeah, he signed Eric Decker, but Eric Decker wasn't a number one wide receiver, you know. You had to get more out there. And but think about it like this, okay? And maybe I'm wrong. This is the problem I've always had with the Jets organization in general. They have to understand that if you want to get the GM candidate in, you gotta get the you gotta get rid of everybody. The coach has to go, everybody has to go. You cannot make it a prerequisite that if you want the GM job, you got to take Rex. I don't give a crap how much you love Rex. And yes, in 2009, 2010, they were a great, they were a great team. They almost went to the Super Bowl back-to-back seasons. The fact is, though, is that if you're going to bring in a good GM candidate, a guy who, because you know what the GM candidate's going to want to do first, he's going to want to build his own team. Yeah. He's going to want it with his own coach and let that coach hire his own coordinators. It is 101, executive 101. The Jets never did that, which is why they got stuck with guys like John Idzik to be the general manager of the team. Because John Idzik, this is probably going to be the greatest job he ever had. It's going to be the highest, the highest of highs for Idzik. But you have to take Rex. Because the Johnsons loved Rex Ryan, and they didn't want to fire him. And that's fair. I don't have a problem with that then I would have just kept Tannenbaum for another year. Yeah. And there's no reason to make, to make any changes then. You keep yeah. one, you keep them both. And then you go, now think about it like this. Imagine if we had had Joe D during last offseason with Adam Gates. Okay? Joe D builds the roster exactly how he wants to build it. You don't have McCann. Listen, and I love the McCagnan free spending because, I mean – it makes free agency exciting when you can bring in Le'Veon Bell, bring in C.J. Mosley, and all that stuff. However, you saw what happened after that, though. Then it became a bit of a, you know, a cluster because Gase and McCagnan don't get along. 
McCagnan does the draft, does a horrible draft pretty much right now. I mean, it's very early to tell, but, you know, the jury's still out on how well they did because we won't know that for at least another year or two. If you have a guy like Joe D right on the spot there to do free agency and do the draft, he's going to build the team the right way. Now, what, what does that mean? Most likely, Le'Veon isn't here and CJ's not here. Yeah. Crowder could be here. I don't know. But again, the, this is what killed the Jets over those years. It's because they didn't know, you know, you, if you're going to hire one, you got to hire – even when they hired McCagnin, they hired Bowles first. Yeah. McCagnin didn't hire Bowles. Bowles was hired first, and then McCagnin came in. So it's just maybe they finally have it right, even though it was still backwards. Because you had to you, – you, you let McCagnin do the draft. You let McCagnin handle free agency. And then what was the first thing Joe Douglas realized? This line sucks. Yep. But everybody was signed, and there's nothing you can do. And the draft had already taken place. So yeah. you pretty much – you had to just ride or die in 20, 2019. But you know what the one thing, you know, I liked about – you know, like you said, it was backwards that they picked the head coach before the GM – but at least, you know, Gase had a say on in, you know, who he wanted the GM to be, you know, someone who they, they can get along with, you know, and that, and that's fine with me, honestly, you know, I would have rather have the GM before the head coach, but if the G, if the head coach is getting, you know, a, a word in edgewise with the Johnsons saying, you know, I think, you know, I've sat down with this guy. I think he's a good candidate. We should hire Joe Douglas. And I think that's, I think that's fine. I think that's fine the way they went about it. And that's what I'm saying. And you see the difference with a GM like Douglas. He knows what the main issue is. He's got to protect his franchise quarterback. So the first thing he does is he bulks up that line immediately. Okay. Now, listen, I think the line is improved. I don't know if it's a top five offensive line yet. I haven't seen him play. So we'll, we'll know more as the season progresses. Right. But I love what they've done so far. And there's a different atmosphere. There's a different vibe, man. And you, you know, Jet fans are very pleased. The Jet fans seem really happy about having Douglas as the general manager right now. And that's what you want to see. They're not ripping everything to shreds. And that's why, like, as much as Jet fans are going to hate when I say this, I don't see anything reason why after this year, if he has a bad year, I don't see Gase getting canned. Yeah, neither do I. I think it's going to be another year because you have to have some continuity. I'm sick and tired of replacing coaches every two years. Yeah. I'm tired of it. I, I'm, I'm just done. Look, we, we, gave, we gave Todd Bowles four years. He didn't do it after four years. That was it. You're gone. Yeah. But, you know, I will, I will say I don't think he'll be canned, but I do think he will be on the hot seat. The pe- I think there'll be pressure on Gase. I'm not saying there isn't, and I'm sure he knows that. I mean, he's not, he's not so arrogant that he doesn't think that it's coming. Yeah. You know, he reads the papers. He reads the blogs. He knows the fans hate him. So I'm sure he's going to, you know, I'm sure he's aware of what's going on. But the way I look at it is this is now Sam's second year. And I think this is going to be more about how big of a step Sam takes this year yeah. that's going to save Gase's job. Yeah. I don't think it's going to be a record wins and losses. This schedule is freaking brutal, man. It is a brutal schedule for the Jets. It came out that the, the Jets have the second hardest schedule. Yeah. Like, yeah. So you cannot sit there and listen. I don't like to use that schedule as an excuse. I really don't. And I wouldn't use it if Gase – here's the thing. The schedule will play a part in it, but if you don't see the development that Sam Sam needs to take a step forward yeah. in year three, and, it, and it, I don't think it's got to be a colossal step forward, but everyone knows what he can do, so he doesn't have a lot of excuses. And I don't want to hear about weapons 
you know, and I like, again, I agree with Jake a thousand percent. They have weapons. You may, the reason why people don't think they have weapons is because they don't have a DeAndre Hopkins lining up wide. They don't have Odell Beckham Jr. lining up wide or Mike Evans. Right. You know, right now you're going, the names aren't sexy. We know that. Rashad Perryman, Denzel Mims, Jamison Crowder. But I think having a healthy Chris Herndon for a full season and Ryan Griffin, who I thought was great for them last year, is going to play a lot, a huge role. And I think Le'Veon is going to have a bigger role than people think. Yeah, I think, you know, you can open up the playbook more now this year. Now that Le'Veon is, you know, he has the year, uh, the yearbook, the playbook under, under his belt for a year. Sam Darnold will be playing – Hopefully he'll be playing the whole season. You open up the playbook more, and you can really stretch out what Le'Veon can do. And Le'Veon, he can play wide receiver, and he can come out the backfield. You know that was the big reason why he wanted he wanted to get paid like a like a dual position player because he's that good, and he deserves to get he deserves to get the money that we that we gave him. But Gase has to open up the playbook more and see what what Bell can what we all know Bell can do. All right, Clem. Any parting gifts before we get out of here for t- for Tuesday? Yeah, the, uh, let me talk about the Sopranos real quick. Okay, that, <laughs> that ending was such horseshit. I, I was I'll tell you what, you could take my you could take my parting gift if it makes you if you need more time. This that that ending was such horseshit. First of all, I thought Tony gets killed. Spoiler alert for everyone who gets who's listening. I thought Tony got killed. Though uh, Clint, your spoiler alert means nothing because everybody saw this like five years ago. <laughs> so like, so I'm I'm watching it and I'm like. Oh, because in my mind, I thought he was going to die. So uh, I'm watching it. They're in the restaurant, the last scene. And, like, they're setting up where he, like, he's going to – journey playing in the background and everything. Yeah, like, they're setting it up. They're focusing on everyone in the restaurant. I'm like, oh, this is who, – who's going to kill him? And then, you know, they're sitting at the table and they just cut the black. I'm like, no. Now you know why people hated the finale of the That was so – like, like I have an idea of what kind of happened. Like, someone shot him and then – done he killed and but no you're right though like you told me not to say like oh the story couldn't continue the story really can't continue like because who well you can't because it's got to now that that's why they're keeping it alive by doing a prequel yeah i mean you can't really continue the story after it because one all the main characters what, what, what are you going to focus the story around uh, fuck, uh paulie and aj like you can't do that it's terror that's terrible you can't it's, oh, I hated AJ. I thought he was such. Oh a, my god, he sucked. He, he was such was a little turd, man. He was awful. I'm te- I'm texting my buddy the whole time. I'm like, yo, Janice needs to die. She needs to get whacked. <laughs> she was the worst. Well, the thing was the problem with the Sopranos was the whole season was it would just be built up like, oh, who's gonna get whacked? And you kind of knew who it was when you got to the end. Yeah. You know, you like by the time you got to the season finale of each season, you kind of knew who was gonna get whacked. Yeah. Just when it was gonna happen. You know what they? There's a place by me called Trainland, which is right on Sunrise Highway. It's a model train store and everything. the The scene where Bobby Bacala gets whacked—that's there. It's there, and there's a huge poster in front. And the reason why I know this is because my in-laws live right around the corner from Trainland. And there's a huge poster in the window that says has the Sopranos logo, and it says the scene where Bobby Bacala gets whacked was filmed in Trainland. That's crazy. Wow. When my in-laws were there. My in-laws said they couldn't get on Sunrise Highway because you had trailers. You had all this stuff on that block. It was insane. The Sopranos, to me, was probably one of the more disappointing shows. Like, 
I'm not a big fan of overhyped shows. I think when people really build up shows too much, and then I sit down and I watch them, they're never as good as everybody makes them out to be. Mm-hmm. Sopranos is definitely one of them. I am not a huge fan of The Walking Dead. Yeah. Everybody, everybody swears up and down it's the greatest show ever. And I said, and I, I, I work with three people who watch The Walking Dead religiously. And I kind of like mess with them a little bit and they get super pissed because I'm not, I don't like the show. And I just said, I'm like, and they're like, yeah, you know, it's getting so good. And I can't wait to see what the finale is. And I go, uh, we all know what it is. Somebody trips over the virus. And then just like that, it's like Resident Evil, like the movie Resident Evil. And they get really offended. Like it's almost, it's like, it's me. I take personal pleasure out of it. (laughs) But, you know, that was another show that I didn't really particularly care for. The Office is a show that everybody swears up and down is amazing. And I just can't really get into it. But the, there were two shows, and you may not remember them because you're a pretty young guy. Two shows that by far were the most overhyped, overrated shows, probably, arguably of all time. One was Heroes. Heroes was a show on NBC. Um, it was around the 2000s. So you might have been like, you might have been like in, I don't know, maybe June. When were you born? 95. 95. Yeah, it was probably gone by then. Heroes was basically about people that had supernatural powers. Each one had something different. And the big thing was like, save the cheerleaders, save the world. And Hayden Panettiere was, you know, she was really hot back then too. She played the cheerleader and everything. And it was just like, everybody had their different powers. The problem with the show became was that they introduced so many characters, you couldn't keep up with who was who. And it got like ridiculous after a while. And like, I just shut it down and I just, I got so tired of it. Mm -hmm. And then the only other show that I really believe, that's actually one more, I'll give you one more. The X-Files I always thought was very overrated. The other show was, was Lost. Yeah. Lost was by far the most overrated show ever, ever. Because I watched it and I watched it and I'm like, this show freaking sucks. I was like, I, could, it, I just couldn't, I didn't care after a while. It was like, you just wanted them to die already because you just, <laughs> it, it was just ridiculous. Like the way they used to kind of build it up, it was, it just didn't, people built up the show as like, it was fantastic. Yeah, and that, I'm getting, the, I got the same thing from The Sopranos. You know, I loved it. I loved every second of watching it, but I feel like people overhyped it where it was like on another level of show. Like it was like, well, to me, I think, like, Game of Thrones is, like, the number one show of all time. And, I, first of all, I don't recommend anyone to watch Game of Thrones anymore after that horrible se- last season. But that's a, that's a different story. That's another show. Like, I just – I really tried to get into it. But the problem I have with HBO shows in general, and I don't know if you'll agree, and you'll – if you watch The Wire, you'll see this. An hour feels like days yep. when you watch an HBO show. And when you watch The Wire, because The Wire moves at a very slow pace. Mm-hmm. It's not like a show that's riddled with action all the time. It's a lot of drama. Because while it takes place and it has to deal with, like, Baltimore and, like, you know, the drug scene and everything like that, you don't get a lot of shootouts. You don't get a lot of – it's a, just a – it drags and it drags and it drags. And it feels like – an hour feels like literally a week that you've been watching because it just, it feels like it takes forever. And I, and I, I felt the same way about Game of Thrones. That's why I never really got into Game of Thrones either. See, I never got into Game of Thrones originally. And then my one buddy who I know would have never watched it, watched it, and he's like, yo, Chris, you got to watch it, man. It's mad good. So I watched it. I fell in love with it. Was diehard Game of Thrones fan. 
And then when I watched the last season, I was like, this, I, I, I would write, when people told me, oh, what show should, what show should I watch? I need a new show to watch. I'm like, Game of Thrones, Game of Thrones, Game of Thrones. Yeah. Uh, after season eight, I was like, don't watch Game of Thrones. No one watched Game of Thrones. You just have your heart ripped out at, by season eight. It's terrible. It's the worst feeling in the world. I mean, if you really want to watch like really good gangster stuff, like Sopranos type stuff, watch The Godfather. It's one yeah. of the greatest movies of all time. I gotta watch that. I, a bad, I'm a bad Italian. Godfather Three I, I, sucks. Godfather Three sucks. It's not that good, and it's really long. But Godfather One and Two, like that, is the perfect thing to watch when you're like stuck in your house on a snow day, hmm. and you're not going anywhere, and you know you're not going anywhere, and you just sit in your basement or sit in your living room and just watch The Godfather all day, and it's such an amazing movie. That and Goodfellas are like my two all-time favorite. Love Goodfellas. My, I think my favorite like mobster movie is uh, Bronx Tale, but I I haven't seen Godfather. <laughs> Bad Italian, and you know I get roasted all the time by my family members. They're like, "Oh, you ever seen the Godfather?" I'm like, "No," because every time I like walk in on it, it's the it's the it's the scene when Sonny gets pot or gets shot. Oh, at the best the- scene ever. It, it's oh, it's always that scene. It's so weird. It's you can't so watch weird. it like you can't watch it on like AMC though. They cut out a lot, and it, exactly you gotta, like you got to get it on like DVD or something like that, or on demand. Like if they have it like the uncut version, it's absolutely fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. I gotta watch it. But yeah, every time someone's watching it in my house, always the scene when Sonny gets uh gets shot at the toll booth. I'm like every fucking time. It's right here every time. <laughs> well. I'm glad you saw it my way about the Sopranos because it really, like, at the end of the day, I was just like, yeah, it was nothing special. And then I had, like, the next morning, I'll never forget it, too, because the next day at work, I argued with my friend who, he was in IT. Mm-hmm. And I got, you got to be nice to the IT people in your job because they'll fix your computer in, like, five minutes. If you're not nice to them, they won't fix it for five days. <laughs> you got to be careful, right? So I tried to play it cool with him and everything. And when he said, and I quote, there's so much more going on. Right. There's nothing going on. There's not. All the good characters died. There's nothing going on. How many times have you and I heard that phrase? Oh, we're working on all this stuff, and you know, and it turns out to be nothing. Yeah. It's the same thing. It's Did fairly you- simple. Most likely, 99%, if you I'm willing to bet that it ended with Tony Soprano getting whacked. Yeah. I mean, that's the only thing I can come up with because you can't continue the story because the only two, like, the only good characters that were left in Tony's crew were Paulie and Patsy. So what are you going to do? You're going to re- revolve the show around those two? Absolutely not. What are you going to do? Revolve the show around AJ going into the military? No. No one cares about Meadow. It, like, it's, it's, you can't continue the show. Like, yes. Yeah. The best episode of The Sopranos by far, there were two. One was the Columbus Day one. Right when all the friends are fighting and all that oh, stuff. Like, yeah, that was good. Right? And like, and uh, and then the other one was the Pine Barren episode when uh, Paulie Walnuts and Christopher oh get God. lost in the woods that and they're was... eating the ketchup packets because <laughs> they don't know where they're going. Well, the one thing about that episode, like, I was texting my friend. I was like, "Yo, when's this Russian guy gonna come back after being shot?" Like, yeah, he because he got shot, and they were like, then he just disappeared. Like, and Bobby Bacala shows up with the hunter's uniform with like oh, the bright orange, like, you know. So funny. <laughs> so funny. All right. Well, listen, that's going to do it for us tonight on the Moffat on the Mike show. Thank you once again to Jake Asman for taking time to uh, hang out with us and talk some football, talk some baseball. Jake's been a good friend of the show. We really appreciate it. You can check out his show every Monday to Friday, 
9 a.m. to 11 a.m. on SB Nation Radio, the Jake Asman Show. Uh, as of Monday, he's back, and, you know, it's like I said, it's good to have him back on the radio and everything. So, again, Monday to Friday, 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. on SB Nation Radio. Definitely check out the Jake Asman Show. You know, he's awesome, and we really appreciate him being on the show. Uh, Clem, thank you for holding it down like you normally do. Uh, we're not going to have a show tomorrow night, but we'll be back on Thursday. And uh, right now we're tentatively scheduled to have Tim Healy, Mets beat writer from Newsday. He's going to be on the show. we got a lot to talk about with the Mets. Um, I definitely want to pick his brain on a few things going on with some of the players, you know, where they could be headed, especially with the possibility of a sale in the future with the Wilpons. So we're going to have a lot to talk about with Tim. So right now he is tentatively scheduled for Thursday, but obviously on Thursday we will let you know if he's on or not. But uh, one more time, follow our show, follow my show on Instagram at Moff on the Mic, Twitter at Moffat on the Mic, and my Facebook page as well. You can follow the A1 Sports Radio Network on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Uh, Clem's going to be working on this. It'll be a podcast on Spotify by tomorrow morning. So definitely check it out. Share it. Like it with your friends, whatever. And uh, any support you guys can provide us is greatly appreciated. So on behalf of my tag team partner, Chris Clem, I am Craig Moffat. You've been listening to the Moffat on the Mic show courtesy of the a1 sports radio network have a great rest of the evening wherever you are stay safe remember no show tomorrow night but back on thursday possibly with tim healy from newsday everyone have a great day have a great night we will talk again on thursday